there's nothing ever pre-planned anyway and the best conversations are the ones that are kind of on the hoof if you like anyway um welcome everyone i am your host the zenith and i have the amazing jim mccarty here today um it's a real pleasure for me to have someone on the podcast who has inspired me um through the work that he has done and through being a key member of ll research jim mccarty welcome to the spirit channel podcast thank you so much for agreeing to do this well uh, it's my pleasure i'm glad to be here and be able to uh talk about anything you'd like to hear about lnl research its beginnings it's uh continuing um anything you want to know brilliant happy as well i know i said to you a few questions before the show but maybe i'll just bring in these avalanche of other questions that i had that i've gathered up over the years one thing that i just wanted to point out um i'm just so so happy i'm amazed i am thrilled that you now have a search button on ll research's website mm -hmm. i can go in and search by term anything that i ever wanted to find out um, whether it's ever been asked of quo so i am like a kid in a candy shop i do not know where to start i really don't know oh, i need want to ask does quo have any information on this because i've been asking um austin austin has been the one i've been in contact recently just about like you know um metaphysical terms and this understanding of this misunderstanding of this and then i kind of wrote um tll research recently um to say, look, has there been any anything ever asked of Quo about you know Prophet Muhammad and who it was he was in contact with in the Quran? Because I find that interesting, find it fascinating, and it's something that's converged in my life. So I was absolutely thrilled when he came back to me and said, you know, yes, there was questions asked pretty much along the same line as 2007, but we now have a search function which you can search yourself. So I was woohoo! <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's just start then. Let me just give you a little introduction. Everyone who's on this should know by now, and if you're not, I'll leave the links in. Jim McCarty is the original scribe for the Raw Contact, which later became known as the Law of One. He is the current president of llresearch.org. He was, is the husband to the amazing Carta, is it Rockert? Is it? Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, he's a co-channeler and perhaps more importantly, he's also a gardener. You can catch his Camelot journal in which he breaks down sections of the raw contact. He um, brings a little channeling from a book of days, which was channeled by Karna, and he um, recites the prayer. And then if you're lucky, you'll get a little bit into his life about him doing the daily shopping, the daily chores at LL Research and tending to his pansies and his guardiolas, um, if, if that's what they are anyway, his flowers anyway, which is which is a fascinating little peek into, into your life, Jim. You're also, um, as I mentioned there, the Camelot Journal, you, you do that there on the top of your duties. You obviously are also part of the podcast. You take part in interviews like these. You take part in study groups. You're also a narrator for the Law of One um, amongst all of the other challenges that LL Research do. So even in your twilight years, you are incredibly busy, incredibly busy. Um, so I guess I kind of know the story, but I would just like to hear you and maybe just hear you in your own words about how it was that you became involved in LL Research because at the time, uh, Don and Carla were the two kind of members and you'd overheard them on a radio broadcast about what it was they were trying to do and you were kind of living this for me idyllic nomad life nomad kind of lifestyle at the time so i just love to hear in your own words a little bit about that okay 
Well, at that time, I was living in the woods of central Kentucky, uh, off the grid, as you might say. I didn't have any uh, power or uh, electricity or running water. I was in a log cabin that I built myself. And I was there because I had attended um, a school in Colorado that taught uh, what was called then brain self-control. Uh, it was a way of helping your brain to focus the energies uh, from the the back of the brain to the front of the brain, the frontal lobes, the third eye. And this was something that was done uh, using dreams and using essaying and then uh, playing out the memories that you had of how, as a child, you might have been programmed in a way that was not um, helpful for a spiritual path, although I think it was probably pre-incarnated programming as we all mm -hmm. raised. So uh, once I was able to uh, activate my frontal lobes and have that frontal lobes experience, uh, then the theory of the school was each one go out and teach one, go start your own school. So I moved to the woods of central Kentucky with that in mind, built a log cabin and I was there for six and a half years by myself. But I did have two classes of uh, teaching this brain self-control technique. But then one evening, I believe it was May 30th, 1979, I had a battery powered radio and I was listening to a radio station in, Louis, in Lexington, Kentucky, WKQQ. And they were interviewing Don Elkins and Carla Ruckert. And the topic was UFOs. And they were talking about having contact with these extraterrestrial beings and being able to get a philosophy from them that we were all part of the one great original thought which was the creator, that we were all on a journey of reunification with that creator. And that creator also existed within us and within everything in the creation. So I was really interested in that. It just uh, got me just fascinated with what they had to say. But it took me about six months to meet them. Uh, fortunately, we had food buying co-ops in our area where we could buy food that we couldn't grow ourselves. This is part of the, in the United States, the back to the land movement of the 70s, mostly okay. college educated hippies moving back to the woods to uh, do what Henry David Thoreau suggested, simplify, simplify. So it turned out at one of these food buying meetings that uh, I met a couple from the other side of the same county I lived in. And I was talking to them about having heard Don Elkins and Carla Rucker talk about the philosophy of the one infinite creator. And they said, well, we're members of their uh, meditation group, their channeling group. We can introduce you. So that's how I met them. And for the next year, I drove to Louisville every Sunday night for their channeling meditations. At that time, they were channeling um, a planetary mind by the name of Latouille. And that was supposedly uh, intermediate type of information. They had started back in 1961 uh, channeling Hatan, which was a fourth density uh, social memory complex. So now they were channeling Latouille in uh, 80 when I uh, joined them. But after I joined them, within three weeks, the raw contact began. So that changed things completely. Carla was uh, doing conscious channeling before the raw contact. But after the raw contact, she was doing trance work, which was not just trance work, but she leave, left her body. And uh, we have no idea. We never figured out how she did that. It was just some kind of a gift she had. And Ra was also not in her body, but was using it as an instrument, like a telephone to speak through. So uh, we were totally excited about that. Uh, Don and Carla had been together for 12 years at that point. There had been some 
uh, they had begun, like I said, back in 61, but Carla was married for about four years to another fellow that uh, took her out to uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia for a few years to uh, help support him and his uh, mistress. <laughs> and uh, then she came back after she uh, he asked her for a divorce and she said, okay, sure. Uh, then she joined on and that was in 1968, uh, November. So they'd been together for 12 years before I joined. Wow. And uh, I was really happy to be with them because uh, it just seemed like we had a natural affinity for each other. There was a an easy harmony between the three of us. And um, we were uh, feeling like we were on the mountaintop with the raw contact. We could ask any question we wanted to and get a response as long as it didn't infringe on our free will. Mm. So that was that was the deal. And that's how it all began. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much for shedding a bit of light on that. There was some of that that I didn't know. I guess what I wanted to say was, um, what did I want to say? Because you said quite a lot there, and there was a couple of things that I wanted to ask you, and neither have went away out of my head. I guess um, you know where. Well, I, I kind of, I kind of know how it kind of started. You know the, how the channeling sessions, you know, started up, and um, how the people, you know, developed their techniques, and how long did it take? It took Carla quite a long time, didn't it? Because she was the one who was kind of like the. The, the the one in the class that kind of if you want to say dumb kid who couldn't get it while everyone else was making this incredible progress she felt as in her own words that i just i just couldn't get it i wasn't able to do it and then just one day from what i understand it just fell into place for her. well um in that original group don was trying an experiment with his uh introduction to physics students at the university of louisville he asked uh, about 12 of them to uh take part in an experiment. And uh, he didn't tell them exactly what it was because he wanted to do a scientific experiment. And one of them asked if he could bring his girlfriend and that turned out to be Carla Ruckert. And so this experiment was supposedly uh, gotten from information Don had received in uh, what's called the Brown Notebook, a group in Detroit, Michigan, had been channeling from Hatan, the fourth density uh, social memory complex because the leader of that group, Walt Rogers, had had a face-to-face -face encounter with uh, one of the entities of Hatan and had what was called then the lingering telepathic contact. So Don wanted to see if this type of telepathic contact, which would speak to spiritual principles, could be initiated in his own group without telling him that was what he was doing. So for a while, for a few months, uh, nothing much happened except there was a lot of strange sounds, their tongues were slurping and mouths were opening and shutting. And in those days, that was the beginning conditioning, it was called, to let the channel or the instrument know that they were being contacted. So eventually, Walt Rogers came down to Louisville and joined the group and channeled those of Hatan. And Hatan told him, we have contact with you, but uh, you're afraid, many of you are afraid to speak the words you hear because you think you're making them up. If you just go ahead and speak the words and analyze them afterward, then that's the way it will work. If you analyze them while it's happening, you'll stop the process. So everybody except Carla learned how to channel. Now, Carla was happy with silent meditation, but she wasn't interested at that time in channeling. So uh, that was uh, in 1961. And like I said, there was a four-year marriage. And eventually Don and Carla got together in 1968. Uh, and Don moved in with her 
and uh, they continued this uh, process, although everybody who had been in the first group uh, had uh, moved out of town and gotten jobs elsewhere. So Don was the last channel left and asked Carla, well, would you be willing to learn how to channel? And she said, okay. So uh, that was 1974. And at that point, it became obvious that Carla had a gift for channeling. And she began uh, with, I said, uh, Hatan. After about uh, three or four years with Hatan, Latwi came in and gave intermediate information. And then, of course, in 1981, January 15th, after I'd been there for a little while, uh, the raw contact began. And uh, <clears throat> and then she con we, we continued our Sunday night meditations with conscious channeling for the public, but we held the uh, raw sessions uh, at our house in a special mm -hmm. room just for the raw contact. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's where the raw contact began. Brilliant. Were you um, part of the channeling group at the time? Although Carla was channeling raw, were you doing your own channeling as well? Yes, uh, she taught me how to channel. Uh, so I was also channeling those of uh, Latwi at that time. Occasionally, there were other entities that came in as well. Uh, there was a, an entity that seemed to be female in nature named Nona that only channeled musical notes. And uh, that was fascinating. Uh, there was only one other fellow in our group that could channel Nona. But there were a number of us in the group that could channel those of uh, La Tui. And uh, so that, that was the way that it went until the raw contact began. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a few strange ones that I've come across in the co-channelings, and I'm going. I've never heard of this one before. I can't remember who they are, but there's been a few that have stuck out. There was one in particular that I don't know if I was doing that channeling, and I would have brought them words out because it was very strange language, very very odd. I'd actually need to look that up. It was it was completely and already different from anything that I had heard before. So you must have had some strange entities come through in that period of time. But it must be it must be kind of hard then to give yourself well i suppose maybe because you're so experienced in it that you wouldn't doubt anything but if you're used to channeling in a certain way and used to certain vibrations if something really strange came in would you not potentially doubt that and go hmm, i don't know about this this is very odd yes uh in her channeling process carla discovered that not only does a person who serves as a channel or an instrument need to tune themselves to the highest vibration possible like you would tune a musical instrument to play in a band. You also need to know who you've got on the line. You need to challenge them in the name of whatever it is that is at the heart of your spiritual journey, that for which you live and that for which you would gladly die. So Carla challenged in the name of Jesus Christ, because at the age of two, she had experiences where she discovered Jesus in what she called her magic garden. And uh, as soon as she had these experiences, she said that uh, she knew what unconditional love was and she became a disciple of Jesus right away. So she would uh, challenge any entity that wished to channel through her in the name of Jesus Christ. We would say, do you come in the name of Jesus Christ? And can you say that Jesus Christ is Lord? And if they couldn't say that, then she wouldn't channel them. Most of the entities that did try to channel through her were part of what's called the Confederation of Planets in the service of the One Infinite Creator. And they were there to share confederation philosophy, which is built around this basic concept, the one great original thought, the one creator that created the universe and that exists in the universe and exists in us. And it is part of our, you know, the very heart of our spiritual journey. So uh, that challenging process was one thing that was very necessary. And 
unfortunately, uh, many channels that are active have been active since and end today don't do that. So sometimes they start off with a very positive entity. And then because there is the necessity as far as the Confederation is concerned for both sides, positive and negative, to be heard, there is an infusion of the possibility of a negative entity taking over the channel if there is no challenge for them. So many uh, contacts start out very positively. And then after a couple of months or so, then they start getting this contact from an entity that seems like the same entity they were channeling. But then it turns the group away from the positive aspects of your spiritual journey and turns it into the negative. And uh, so that's a, a problem that has existed uh, throughout the channeling process here in the United States. And I'm sure it's uh, part of the process around the world as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you're, you're here talking about that. And I don't really want to get sidetracked because I could talk about that aspect. But um, certainly from where I am here in the UK and the way that they practice channeling, although they call it trance over here, that seems to be this different thing. And I'm kind of like trying to understand what they're talking about. It's it's honestly, but I've asked this of, of Austin, I've probably put his head away, ask him about it, but we're completely taught in a different way. Um, and there seems to be this idea over here that, you know, there's no need for protection. There's no need to bring, um, because there's potentially no kind of negative entities there um and it's all just positive and i think most of the information that they've got has been positive i'm not too sure but they're my kind of issue with that is it doesn't seem to be anything that i can think of you know really really potentially recent in in regards to the volume and the length of time that ll research has been channeling that has been of the same quality and the same length of time so without kind of getting into it too much i just think that maybe rather than have this kind of process we're saying it's the same thing that's maybe slightly of a lesser vibration or a lesser quality but i do know that plagues a lot of people a lot of the people that i kind of know that they maybe don't quite accept that idea that there's negative entities and it it is a bit of a um a head scratcher because i think as you mentioned that was the first time that you'd heard of these past diverging that negative entities could ascend to that was kind of the, one of the first ideas with, with certainly with Ra that, um, you know, this path was open to potential negative entities and they could, you know, influence us just as much as positive entities. Right. Um, there is one exception to the rule of having to challenge. If you're channeling your own spiritual guide mm. from this planet, there's, uh, as you say, there is no need to challenge because that is part of what is happening here on Earth and is all of Earth influence. Extraterrestrial beings are another matter. Uh, there are positive and negative. We didn't know there were negative until the raw contact. We were this, thinking the same thing. There were only positive entities. But during the raw contact, there was uh, what was called psychic greetings or psychic attacks on Carla and on all of us in an attempt to stop the raw contact. And if not stop it, um, put out the light uh, of Carla, because there were very many types of uh, attempts to lure her out of her body while she was doing the channeling and take her to uh, negative time space. Now, that's a whole other 
area of conversation and it gets into areas where probably not very many people have had experience because uh, it's, uh, there were so many things that were unique to the raw contact that made it uh, necessary for us to be aware that such negative entities were in existence. And they, as far as the creator is concerned, they uh, do not blink neither at the light nor the dark because mm -hmm. the process for the creator in the creation is that it has made the creation as we know it and everything in it, all of us, all forms of intelligence in order to get to know itself better. So both the positive and the negative paths allow the creator to do this. However, the negative path only exists for the third density, the fourth, the fifth, and at the beginning of the sixth. At the beginning of the sixth, it is necessary to unify the concept of how you are every other person as well as the creator. The negative entities have separated themselves from and controlled other entities throughout their entire experience through the fourth, fifth, and into the sixth density. At that point, they have to see that all other selves they've been controlling are their selves. They have to see them and accept them as the creator and themselves. This is not hard for the positive entities to do because that's their spiritual path. It is hard enough for the negative entities that they have to reverse their polarity and become positive. They don't have to go back and start over because as Ross says, their power is the same as ours. And so they can use that power they've gained in a negative sense of controlling others and manipulating others and switch the polarity and become positive. Now at the middle of the sixth density, both the positive and negative polarity concepts are no longer necessary. All entities at that point continue their journey to the creator without the use of polarity. Polarity is a type of concept that is much like your car battery. Unless there is the potential difference between your positive and negative pole, your car battery will not start your car. So the spiritual journey on earth in the third density where we have the veil of forgetting, and this is the only place we have the veil of forgetting, in order to start our spiritual journey and get it moving, we have to either be positively or negatively charged at the most extreme level possible, in the most powerful way possible, in order to make the graduation into the fourth density. Apparently, in the positive sense, you can make the graduation if in 51% of your thoughts, words, and deeds, you are attempting to serve other people and see them as a creator. That's enough for graduation to the fourth density. The negative, however, is a much more difficult path. You have to be 95% successful in, in causing separation and control of other people. So it's a more difficult path to travel, but it is still a valid path. But as I said, it can only go so far. And then you have to switch to polarity. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting concept, and we think that um, well, fifty one percent that you know that would be easy to obtain. But as I've said before, and I've said to Austin in one of our conversations, and we, we have to admit that fifty one percent is set that way because it's impossible. It's impossible to dedicate your life all of the time to service of others. It's extremely hard. Um, it's extremely tiring. It's emotionally tiring. It's draining. You know, if, if you're going about it in a way that you think that I need to externally be doing things to be in service of others. But I think really that concept means when you do the inner work upon yourself and you change yourself so that you radiate this light naturally and therefore you attract people to you who notice that, who then want to do that work or want to know what your secret is. What is it you're doing differently? Because 
and just seem to have this great calm and peace about about you. We all know that's kind of far from the truth because once we, you know, kind of get to that kind of level or have that kind of vibration and think, oh my God, I'm I'm, I'm like Jesus himself here. <laughs> Almost the very next day, you come crashing down to earth, especially when it's a loved one or a partner close to you, can quite quickly snap that that aura of invincibility. So I think um, for me anyway, that's that's how I interpret that 51% or certainly um, at a potentially much advanced path down your spiritual seeking. Yes. Uh, Carla had a little saying I think is helpful for all spiritual seekers, and that is you can't take your own spiritual temperature. You, this is not the density of understanding. You cannot know exactly how you're doing. All you can know is what you intend. That is something you have control of. If your intention is to be of service, that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I, you were talking there earlier, and I know obviously the more the raw contact went on, that you began to understand the nature of who and what it was that you know you had. Was there a sense of this in the beginning, right at the beginning, or did it happen? You know, maybe when Rob began to give the instructions, you went, oh, this is very, very different. Okay, we seem to have something which is, we've caught a big one here. Yeah, yeah I uh, was not at the first Raw Contact session because I was out shopping for groceries. And Don and Carla were teaching a, a fellow from our Sunday night meditation group how to channel. So um, when I came back to the house and uh, later discovered uh, that there had been a new contact, Don was very excited. He said, could you transcribe this tape just you know, right now? And I said, okay, right now. So as soon as I got to transcribing it, I discovered there was something very different about it. Um, number one, the concepts were very precise and profound. Also, the type of speaking was very unusual. Uh, they used what was called Carla's vital energies her mind, body, and spirit energies used in a spiritual fashion to power the wrong contact. They perfectly enunciated every word and made it very difficult to determine where a sentence ended. And that was made it a little tricky on transcribing, but I could not understand how Don was able to listen to this very paced, you know, evenly paced pronunciation of words and then make sense out of them and then ask another question. But he was able to do that. So that's, uh, if you go to our website, you see that uh, Gary's wife, Tricia, has the project. She's almost done with it. She uh, matches up the words of the raw contact that you can see on the screen with the sound of Carla channeling it at the same time. So it, it helps wow. you understand what's being said. Yeah, I'm <laughs> listening back and you know, to the raw contact or reading it even, you know, I can't imagine how <laughs> back then in the 1980s, you know, when there was no kind of internet, you must, the dawn and even you, when you were transcribed, you must have had dictionaries on the hand to go, what does this word mean? What? I don't know why, because half the words that Ra uses are so big that you're, you, you would probably never use them in, in common language. So to understand that as it was happening and then for you to try and transcribe that and go, what, what, how do I spell that word? Even trying to listen to it to try to understand what was that word, especially if you've never heard it before my, in your life. Yeah. yeah, we went to the dictionary quite a bit. <laughs> 
crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, I guess that that was kind of my my thing there. Where do you think that Don got that? Do you think that was some sort of pre-incarnative, well, maybe not pre-incarnative, but he brought that back with him, that understanding, you know, from this pre-incarnative uh, life that he, because I think most people would have stumbled, as you rightly say, you know, when trying to understand what he was getting live and then to formulate questions um, based on that understanding, especially the archetypes when you get into it. Yes, I think that Don was actually born to do this. I think all three of us, Murat had mentioned that we had worked together a number of times doing work of this nature. That's why the harmony between us was so uh, easy to maintain. Don had 25 years of experience investigating UFOs before this began. He had done uh, hundreds of uh, regressions uh, into previous lives for people to pre-reincarnation work. He'd uh, researched all kinds of areas of the paranormal, and he, he just had so much intelligence and so much experience, and his intuition was wonderful. He just had this intuition about uh, which way to go with questioning and so forth. Uh, we always had sessions the night before we would talk about what questions we wanted to ask. And Don would begin asking the questions, and then Ra would give such an amazing answer that we'd take off on another route, you know, veer off to another whole area of pursuit. And so uh, a lot of the questions didn't get asked in the order that we had hoped because Ra's answers were so uh, profound and inspiring. So, yeah. yeah, Don, I believe, was born to talk to Ra. Yeah, I obviously know because you did ask that question of Ra, like, you know, are we wanderers? And Ra actually did confirm that. And he said, I think he said, was it two from fifth density and one from sixth or two from sixth, one from five? But then when you yeah. ask, well, who are we yeah. from? Are we below? No, I can't answer. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> free will, so. Yeah, they yeah. refused. Um, did you ever, because I know um, today there are, I've, I've come across a few kind of websites that seek to debunk the raw contact and say, oh, it was all in Carter's mind, you know, it was nonsense. She's just, because of this librarian, she was kind of out of the ad decks, you know, had this and all of that sort of stuff. And do you know what? I found that that is helpful because it really makes you challenge your own belief system. I think that when we get stuck in, in simply believing something because it speaks to us or it feels right to us, um, or we believe it because we want to believe it, we can potentially get into this unhealthy mind state and then it becomes difficult when we find something that challenges that belief um you know to to really sit down and listen and i think obviously this is a lot of reasons or a lot of the problems with our world's religions today that they have the correct god and no one else my god's the best god my god's the best god so for me anyway that was that's helpful because it made me actually go back and, and think and what they said with that raw contact this person i came across is that a lot of these terms aren't new. They're based on theosophy. They're based on the works of Alice Bailey. Bailey. They're based. They're based upon thing, and I, I kind of doubted that. Man, oh my God! You know, maybe they're right there because that that is true. So, but I, I kind of went back and thought about it and came across. Well, I didn't come across. I just kind of read that again, and pretty much the opening line of what you know the raw contact is that they say that, you know, more or less we're not offering anything new. We hope to offer a different slant on information which is ever and always the same and that kind of told it to me there is nothing new in this life we're only relearning stuff that has been 
existing in time immemorial. It's just that Ra comes and gives a different slant on the way that we have currently got information or perceived it before. Although I definitely think there was definitely information that pretty much no one has, has heard before. Yes, um, I believe that you could actually say, and I believe this is true, that the raw contact is just the, what has been called the perennial philosophy or the perennial wisdom. Each of the five major religions of the world has a mystical aspect. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all have mystical aspects. And these are all part of that perennial wisdom. And the raw contact fits in perfectly there. Uh, we have a, a friend of LNL Research has actually been over the last probably uh, eight or nine years writing a book about how the raw contact fits in with each of those major religions and how uh, the, the concepts are basically the same. And it's something that uh, the mystics of all the religions have been traveling for you know, their paths for uh, thousands of years. Yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. Absolutely, I was thinking about this today. You know, thinking of only someone could, um, and I guess it's down to free will, and we shouldn't be imposing our idea, you know, of reality, um, onto to people. But we get an awful lot of fundamentalist and um, preachers and uh, people who you know subscribe to their religion in a very kind of fundamental way, and. It, you almost want to say, well, look, you know, look at this philosophy. It, it's exactly what your religion is talking about but it's just not saying that you know your idea of your savior um is is the only savior is the only true savior and your god is not the only true god it's basically the same thing but i guess obviously just due to free will and because we're, we're kind of not like that we we ch wouldn't choose to but it's tempting it sometimes for me anyway right uh, one of the things that is uh been always the case with all confederation philosophy when we've been channeling any entity from the confederation they say that please take our words as our our ideas our opinions please if there's any word or thought that does not meet with your own personal discrimination discard it put it aside and use that which you feel good about and you know the raw contact information isn't for everybody you know we all have our own spiritual paths and uh, for so many years, uh, most of the time that uh, I've been alive uh, through and up until about five years ago, the raw contact was pretty much unknown. Uh, we were somewhere between unknown and uh, uh, unheard of. But for some reason, in the last five years, there's been a lot more interest in it. But Rob himself said that during uh, the raw contact in the early 80s, there were only 352,000 people on the planet that were calling for their kind of information. So uh, you know, we don't expect it's going to you know, wow. be welcomed with open arms by everybody or even a large amount of people. And that's okay, that's perfectly okay. Everybody has his or her own path and, and that's what they should do. And I would suggest that you always use discrimination in whatever path you follow. Make sure that it resonates with what's inside your heart. That's interesting because um, uh, myself um, and a few others, um, probably one or two listening into this now, um, took part in this event um, on this kind of uh, new, it's called social audio. Um, it, it seems to be a new thing. I've only just come across it myself. Um, others have you know, been aware for, for a while, but it's this, I think it's brilliant because it's um, this real collaboration. You get a sense of networking, but 
um, you can, you know, you join this app and you do live talks um, on it. And there are listeners, it's almost like radio, but there are, you know, listeners who maybe will jump from talk to talk and tune into yours. And then people, if they like what you're saying or for whatever reason, can click the button on their, it's all done through your phone. Um, click the button on their phone to request a guest spot on your live talk. Um, and there are people all over the world who kind of do it. As I said, I'm, I'm part of it too, but it was there was a few people within that um, within that app, within that kind of group, within that networking, who decided to hold this 24-hour love fest um, over this 7th and 8th of August, which was the landscape portal and stuff like that. So basically by bringing more love to the world, raising the vibration, and I hit upon the idea of the law of squares, as Ra talked about, and when I was, you know, showing the people this information or when I was kind of relating what this actually meant and, you know, we could incorporate this into our talks if we ask our listeners for anyone who is interested in doing it, because it's not for everyone, as you say, but anyone who would be interested in incorporating that into their talk, here is exactly what it is. But I had kind of thought when I was giving them the numbers of the people who were doing the calling back in 1980, there was maybe another zero kind of added there. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, there's like 350 million or something like that back in the 1980. And if we add our own voice, we could, we are the critical mass. We can bring forth density. So I'm, I'm glad you sort of kind of brought that up. Um, but maybe they didn't. Maybe they just kind of understood, okay, it's, it's that number, not my own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, just kind of moving on. Um, there, as, as, as I was saying, there's I've come across this a couple of times now. Now, a few people have said to me or have come across this idea where they've said, well, we're all Ra. This idea that every single person on Earth is is a member of Ra or, you know, we're all Ra. And I suppose in a way it is true, but at the same time, it's not true. And I don't know, it just seems to be, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. I'd love to know your thoughts because there are so many people who are claiming to channel Ra today. Um, And I was talking with a friend very recently about, these Venusians, which obviously was Ra, where it came from, but there's this distinction between, you know, the Venusians who um, have ascended to there, have graduated to this fourth or fifth density, and the Ra group. And so I'd just love to know your thoughts maybe on that. Do you think that maybe because of the energies that we're in today, that it's become easier to? contact Ra or do you think that there's an aspect of Ra which is a step down in energy which is making itself available to more people? Well there's a number of aspects to that gem of a question. Um, Ra apparently has six and a half million entities within its social memory complex. Now I think the message that they have to share in the law of one is so um, helpful and inspiring to many people that people feel an affinity with it and feel like they are one with Ra and that's that's great that's perfect uh Ra did say that many of their social memory complex are here on earth as wanderers but there would be a a finite number of those you know everybody couldn't be exactly Ra although everybody could have that vibration of uh seeking in the way of the law of one and living the law of one um, as far as people channeling raw, I would love to have some other people channeling raw, but, uh, we were told during the raw contact that, uh, there are many different facets of ability and circumstance 
that were necessary in order to channel Ra. The three basic ones is that the contact has to be in trance and it has to be question and answer. And there have to be at least three people in the group in order to provide protection for the one serving as instrument. So those are the very basic qualities necessary. We've also seen information that we're supposed to channel from Ra, but if you compare it to the Ra contact, it kind of fell short. But I think uh, now you may not know this, but there are other entities that are channeling Quo. Uh, Quo is what is called a principle of mm -hmm. three different social memory complexes or planetary minds. The first being Hatan of the fourth density that we started with in 61. Then the second one being the social memory complex of Latwi of the fifth density of wisdom. And the third one is Ra of the sixth density in a step down fashion so that their concepts can be shared in a general sense, not as precise, mm -hmm. but still in general, the same concepts. So those of Quo are actually um, being, shall we say, flavored by those of Ra, with those of Latui being the actual voice. So, and, and there yeah. are other entities channeling a Quo as well. Yeah, really interesting. I know, again, I could ask you questions about this all day, but I kind of need to move on because I've spent more time talking about, you know, uh, the beginning of this. We were, I was asking you a bit about Dawn and, you know, you were talking about him being in this relationship with Carla and they had this agreement, even though their relationship kind of fizzled out or, you know, they, they couldn't really commit to this traditional idea of a relationship, but they had this agreement that they would still be, you know, bonded to each other until the day that they died. And for you to kind of come into this relationship and become aware of that, I just would kind of love to know what your thought process is. Did it ever feel, you know, was there ever any of this jealousy? Did you ever kind of feel any of a kind of lack or something like this? You know, did you ever try and, you know, persuade Carl or feel uncomfortable, you know, that maybe when you were kissing and cuddling Carl in front of Dawn? I just love to know your thought processes on that. Well, uh, Carl, I never did that in front of Dawn. For one thing, uh, Don and Carla were a group, were a, a couple for 12 years before I joined them. In the beginning of their relationship, they had a sexual relationship. But after a while, about six months or so, Carla got the feeling that Don maybe didn't really want to continue along that line. And when she asked him about it, he said, yeah, I'd rather be celibate. That's my way. And so Carla tried celibacy for two years. And uh, then she talked to Don. She said, you know, I've tried this, but it just isn't working for me. You know, I, I appreciate the sexual aspect of the life. So would it be okay if um, while you're gone flying, he was a pilot for Eastern Airlines at that time. And he was on trips sometimes four or five days and then home for four or five days. So while you're gone, would it be okay if I had a boyfriend and we uh, went out and went, you know, to uh, movies or eat or wh whatever, do what boyfriend and girlfriend do. And uh, he said, have a ball. So, and, uh, and then he said, uh, when the relationship is over, just let me know and you're, you're free to go into another one. So she only had uh, one or two other people in that uh, type of relationship. So when I came along, uh, after they were been together for 12 years, uh, Carl and I became lovers and Don thought, and we thought that was perfect because 
I was much more into solitude, having lived on my land for six and a half years by myself, than uh, needing to be with Carla, you know, so much. Uh, it was perfectly fine for me for her to go in and be with Don, watch television, and I would stay back in my room and meditate or, or go outside and work in the gardens, what, whatever. So it was yeah. a perfect situation as far as we all were concerned. And uh, when Don passed away in 1984, uh, Carla and I got married two years later because we knew that the uh, LL research and the law of one was our life's work. And we felt it was uh, very important to continue. And the most powerful way to do it was to be married. So we got married uh, May 30th, 1987, and we're married for 28 years and uh, together for 34. Brilliant. Fantastic. You know, amazing how that all kind of worked out. But you say, you know, that must have been just this pre-incarnate of choice for it to yeah. work like that. And I just wanted to ask one last question about Don, because, you know, Don obviously passed away. He committed suicide. And um, the backstory to the raw contact is that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you were all being heavily influenced, um, your minds distorted and catalysts being offered by this negative fifth density entity and its fourth density minions. And because of the danger that Carla was in, um, with her soul potentially being taken you know, away and put in the negative time space, um, Don became very paranoid about this, um, such to a point where he suffered these mental breakdowns um, and end up, as you, as you rightly know, well, obviously you'd know, but end up killing himself, committing suicide with, his, with a shotgun or gun. Um, as I mentioned, in other channelings, it is mentioned that, you know, this could have been entirely preventable because you never asked Ra for magical concepts which would enable you or offer you for protection. And that's always kind of stuck with me. Do you have any basis or do you think there's any basis in truth in, in that? Well, the, the part about magical is, is totally incorrect because before Don ever got involved with Carla, he was performing white ceremonial magic uh, with the Order of the Golden Dawn, D-A-W-N. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he was quite practiced at that. And we worked very hard to use magical concepts to protect the raw contact. We used the banishing ritual of a lesser pentagram to protect the room we meditated in before we had the raw contact. And we also used that same ritual in the room for the raw contact. Ra themselves gave us another ritual that was supposed to protect us as well called the walking of the circle of one. So mm -hmm. there, we, Don and I would walk around Carla while she was on the bed, getting ready to go into trance and performing that circle. So uh, the magical aspect of the relationship between the three of us all throughout our relationship uh, and to this day uh, was uh, built on white ceremonial magic. And that is, uh, that's just the way it was. Now in the very last session with those of Rob, they did mention that Don had the potential, the likelihood becoming mentally and emotionally unstable in the near future. And they also mentioned that Don and Carla had experienced a deleterious energy exchange. Yeah. And that was in the nature of Don being worried that Eastern Airlines was going to fail and he would not have a job or uh, the income to support our group as he had before. He was also worried that Carla's condition, her physical condition, was deteriorating to the point that uh, it, she may not live. Uh, he always also was aware that his own condition, uh, mentally and emotionally, was in deterioration. So she said to him, why don't you let me take over the worrying 
for the how we're going to get along. Let me be the strong one. You be like me, small and foolish. <laughs> and unwittingly that such a thing could happen, Don said, okay. But he didn't know that he was agreeing to something that could happen because he and she had been as one since before time. And a problem for one was the same in sympathy for the other. So as it went on for the next seven or so months, his condition continued to deteriorate where he was unable to really see the joy of life and able to give the praise and thanksgiving that Ross suggested was be the antidote to any potential problems that he might have. But as it turned out, uh, he got so his, his desire for care and um, perfection in all things became kind of a paranoia. And that was intensified by our friend of negative polarity so that he did not see the world around him the same as he did before, that he was afraid that things were happening that were not really happening. So at the final point, uh, he said that he felt he, he, he was going to have to go into a mental ward because we were concerned enough about him that I signed what was called a mental in, inquest for him so that he could be examined in a, a mental hospital. He had already put himself in the hospital once because he knew he was having problems, but it didn't work out. Uh, they, uh, they, just, they, they were not able to help him. And so he came out of there and knowing that he'd already tried that and he knew that if they served this warrant on him, he's gonna to have to go back into a hospital where he did not want to die. He decided he was going to die here. So uh, as they uh, had a standoff with him, basically, for about six hours, there were the police around the, the yard and in the uh, area uh, outside, uh, they eventually decided uh, uh, Captain Jewel was the guy's name. He was the police. He was a, made his headquarters next to our neighbors and uh, said, well, this has got to end this evening where the neighbor there said, well, why don't you just let him sleep it off? You know, let him go through the night and see if he feels different in the morning. He said, no, this has got to end now. So they shot tear gas into the house. Uh, nine different windows were broken with tear gas and that Don was downstairs at the time. So he went outside to shoot himself with a 38 revolver. And uh, Carl and I always felt that it wasn't just Don's hand or finger on the trigger, that our friend of negative polarity finally found a way to stop the raw contact. Now, the upside of the story is that about two days later, after Carl and I had finished making love in front of the fireplace, Carla saw Don in a waking vision. And he said, everything turned out the way it is supposed to. You won't know this until you too pass through death's door. Now, two days later, she saw him again. And he repeated that, that everything had turned out the way it was supposed to. Now, there were so many factors that went in to his death and more than I could discuss here. But if anybody is interested, I wrote an article called the 40, 34th anniversary of the passing of Don Elkins. If you Google that, it will take you to our website and you'll see the article I wrote that all of the factors that were absolutely unique on this planet, I doubt if they've ever happened before, that went into it. But as Don, as Don said, it turned out the way it was supposed to. I think that everything we do, more or less, is part of the pre-incarnated choices. Uh, 
and that everything that goes however it goes is the way it needs to be in order for certain lessons to be learned. Sometimes the lessons are difficult to learn. Now, Carla is also passed through death's door and she understands now, I am sure, why things happen the way they're supposed to. I'm still here. I don't know exactly how it was supposed to go and how that was exactly the way it was supposed to go. But I have faith that that is the truth. So, Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, um, Jim. I, I do want to um, talk a lot about Carla and I'm kind of aware, so if you don't mind granting me just even a little more time, I really do uh, want to talk about Carla. I um, think potentially had uh, contact with Carla just after the 40th anniversary of the raw contact and it was in a deep meditation the vibration of that person who I thought was Carla was so beautiful and so lovely it caused me to cry in a meditation it caused the tears to run down my face and it was so overwhelming so beautiful it's uh, the only ever time that I felt that before was during my awakening um so that's how powerful it was this feeling of unconditional love it was so beautiful and she did give me information which i passed on to uh austin i think at the time um and information about you i can't so i don't know if you're aware of that but anyway it doesn't really matter um that we were talking about this just before the um for the broadcast went live about carla's physical condition she had uh she had back pain she needed a back rub um, half an hour after the raw contact ended, she had arthritis, she had stomach problems, she had to go for uh, an operation, which you were very concerned about her, and all of these things were intensified by the negative entities. And what becomes more and more apparent as the law of one contact goes on, and certainly book five, which was the material that you originally left out, is all of the help and all of the concern that almost every question if not every question is about what more can we do to help her because she puts so much of herself into that as you mentioned that Don McKay is so concerned that because this contact was training not just on her energy but her vital energy that she would actually die because she invested so so much of her time into that and that just becomes apparent more and more um and it's just absolutely amazing to me the more that i kind of you know really think about this is that even during that even during this um revelation that you know she was putting her life in danger put, put not even putting her life putting her soul in very very extreme danger during this that she was so fearless that she cont continued this and even after that you know contact ended all of her work in answering all of the letters and correspondence to all seekers and all of these people who were interested she wrote so many books you know um she channeled she wrote the wonders handbook living the law won the choice a channeling handbook she wrote a book of poetry she contributed to other works with dawn amongst so much else she um she had that podcast with monica lady which people could ask questions and answers she began in the now and when she took part with you and Gary and Austin for a few episodes. And I guess, I don't know, what did you ever get to any of that sense? You know, whether did you ever become concerned? Did you ever say to your slow down? <laughs> you know, just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to ask. I'm just trying to get across this concept of the amazing work that she'd done, despite her physical and mental conditions, which must have really been so debilitating for her. 
Oh, yeah. The, she lived to be of service to others. That was the way uh, she was meant to be. Uh, she was born to be of service. And that was the way she lived her life. It was her lifeblood. It was what gave her energy, being of service to others. And that's one of the qualities of service to others. Since we're all one, when you serve others, you also get some energy back. Uh, mm -hmm. But it wasn't that she wanted energy back. It's just that she wanted to be of service. And Ross suggested that she tended to go a little bit too far, that she was, you know, getting to be more like a martyr. <laughs> However, the uh, desire to be of service that she had was so strong that in the, if it was just looked at from the, her own point of view, it was very polarizing positively. But looked at from the point of view of being in the raw mm -hmm. contact, it meant that she might not have as much time to partake in the contact if she continued in this martyring style. So mm -hmm. after a while, she did uh, give over the decision-making to Don and me as to whether or not she was in good enough shape to have a session with Osbra. And uh, that helped her out because uh, we usually agreed she was ready, but sometimes we said, no, you're not quite up to par yet. We need to take a little bit more time off. And that was something we had to learn as a group, too, because in the first year, we had 75 sessions with those abroad. And that was a bit much. We even had two sessions a day uh, for about uh, six or eight days in the first two weeks. And that was pushing it a little bit too hard because, as, as we discovered later on, uh, a session with Ra was uh, similar to a harsh day's labor for anyone else. So in the second year, we had about 20 sessions. The third year, we had four. And the fifth year, we had one. So about at the second year, we finally got down to the, the, you know, the pace that we probably would have been wiser to choose in the beginning. But in the beginning, we were so excited about the raw contact and the ability to ask these questions and get such fantastic answers that we just uh, couldn't help ourselves. Uh, we just wanted to you know, keep on doing it. Uh, so, you know, we did learn, though, eventually. Brilliant. And, and that's, you know, she, she's written this about herself, you know, um, or there's this um, piece on the website that says, special though she was, we're all bozos on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just fantastic. She never had these idea of urge or graces about her whatsoever. Her vibration just, I don't know, it still continues this day throughout the work and through people who come across, you know, the inspirational work that she done. And, yeah, she's not here in the physical anymore, but it's through the work that she left and people get this idea when they begin to read the raw contact. And as I mentioned, the amount of fearlessness and the dedication mm -hmm. that she had to, to, to bringing this, you know, forward to being of service um, and just all of the work that she done. And, you know, myself, I'm immensely, immensely grateful for that. And as I said, I mean, like, I, I don't presume to know whether that was Carla. All I can say that it, it was, if that, you know, I would imagine that that feeling, that that vibration, that that soul that came through would not surprise me at all to be Carla because it was so pure and so rarefied and of so much great beauty um, that it was an absolute honor to, you know, to, to be of contact on that. Jim, just moving on to LL Research themselves. I mean, it's been 54 years. 54 years that LL Research have been doing this work. It's half a century, over half a century. It's incredible. And on, on the website, it mentions this. It says six, 1,672 transcripts, 
43 books, 253 podcasts, 85 interviews granted, um, 22 languages of this work has been translated into. Um, there have been queries, there have been emails, I've been a part of that. You have uh, brought forward, uh, created the Bring Forth website, which was a forum, which was a gathering of like-minded people. People could publish their own blogs on that. You had the Seeker Connector um, on that their website that you contributed that to with the Camelot Journal. Um, you also have the Blogworthy Report, which gives you all of the day-to-day -day activities of um, LL Research. And obviously now, throughout the years, this two websites have expanded to offer so, so much else. And it's all for free. It's all for free. 99% of it is all for free, which is absolutely incredible if you think about that. 54 years of this incredible philosophy which has touched so, so many people around the world. And I know that you mentioned that up until five years ago, it, it was pretty much unknown. And that's probably probably where I've come in. I think there must be an explosion in, in awareness of it or these energies have exploded to so many people. But I personally know so many people who know about it. So there must be, them figures must be wrong. But anyway, the whole point of this, and on top of that, you've also done these homecomings. You have taken this homecoming um, or coming home to a new earth outside of America twice now. So this is the second time um, that this has been taken out of America. You've got the Law of One Seeker gathering in Prague. And all of this information, obviously the, the, the attendance to these homecomings are not free, but all of this information is, is for free. And you've kind of relied on private donations and people just being donors and volunteers and never thought to charge people unless they wanted to buy a physical copy. Was there any idea that maybe we should, you know, ask people to volunteer at least something before we make this for free or pay $1 or something like that, like other people have done? Well, it was always Don's dream to be able to make this information free worldwide. And the internet gave us that opportunity. You can get these materials uh, in the form of PDF downloads for free. Um, in the beginning, uh, we advertised for uh, the first book. We self-published the first uh, Raw Contacts in uh, eight and a half by 11 blue uh, paperbacks. And we advertise them by saying, uh, this is information concerning the spiritual journey uh, from a social member complex or a group mind called Raw. If you would like to read the book, uh, we will send it to you for free. And if you want to keep it, uh, make a donation. If you don't want to keep it, send it back. So we've always had that philosophy. Don was the one that created that. And of course, Carl and I were totally in harmony with doing that because, you know, this is a philosophy that was an honor to break through, bring through to anybody who's interested in it on earth. It's not something we own. You can't own this. You can live this or you can reject this. You know, it's your choice. <laughs> you can't own it. Fantastic. It's, just, it's absolutely incredible. And the, the work and the, the research and the dedication of your own hours and everyone else involved in that and the intensive work, which does overwhelm people at times. And to obviously, you know, you, you give yourself something for it but i i don't know just for me i just find it overwhelming i find it absolutely incredible and as we were talking about before the show um how i sort of came or how i became aware of the law one um or certainly had fundamentally changed my life once i you know understood 
what it was and you know obviously had access to it but that would never have happened all of the work that i do i attribute this in some way to the efforts of ll research because i would not be where i am unless i had come across the, the ll research website unless you um don and carla initially had decided to make this for free um and it's just it's, it's absolutely incredible so i i owe ll research a, a massive thank you and i'm debted to not only the transformations within myself, but my own meager and humble efforts to be of service to other people. And I've tried to keep that philosophy too, that whatever I have to offer, I offer freely because it's come to me for free. And, you know, as I progress along my path, of course, it would be nice to get some money from this, but as I've got it for free, I need to offer it for free. And that way we keep alive the spirit of, of Dawn and the, the philosophy of LL Research. Um, so it's, it's absolutely amazing. I just wanted to talk about the Bring Forth website, but um, because I know now that, you know, unfortunately it's become a read-only website because the webmaster has had to leave his current role. Um, when and where was the idea behind that? At what point did you decide to create this website, which was this interactive forum for people to come and share their uh, stories of awakening, discuss law of one philosophy, and um, to contribute your own efforts to the Camelot journey and obviously the, the blogworthy report, and also to have this amazing concept of a secret connector in which people could type in their physical location and see by location, who or where, where people were closest to them or what state they were in? Uh, I'm not a tech wizard, so I don't know the ins and outs of every detail, mm -hmm. but this site was created back in 2006. And apparently, according to Steve Engrat, our webmaster for Bring Forth, uh, various ingredients that were utilized at that time to build the site seemed to have a certain lifespan that began to fail about two or three years ago. And so at that time, he began working as hard as he could to try to solve the problems that kept coming up. And as soon as he would solve one, two more would show up. And he just put everything he had into it for the longest time, over a year and a half. And finally, it became obvious that this wasn't something that could continue, uh, and not in that form not in an active form. It'd have to be the most simple way possible. So that's why now it's a, a read-only site. And uh, in the future, we may be able to build a new site. Um, mm. We were very, very fortunate to run into a fellow from South Africa named Daniel Shields, who built our new website, llresearch.org, and did such a magnificent job. Mm. So it might be possible in the future to apply that type of technology uh, maybe daniel himself to a new site but that's something we'll have to think about because there's so many other good things going on at ll research now that um there just isn't time to do anything other than what we've done yeah. it's incredible as i said you know that the, the amount of um transcripts alone like if 40 more than 40 years of, of quote material and as i said to you to start a show this um whoever you know came across that idea or however that came into existence of the search button is 
is as I said to you, it's like a gold mine. I feel like a kid in a candle, uh, a candy <laughs> shop where I'm able to punch in anything and see whether it's ever been asked of coal. So that is amazing. Um, but also, I guess, LL Research, you know, the three members of you originally, Dawn and Carla, who have now transitioned, but you've also got this other incredible team and two new recent additions to that. So obviously, Gary and Austin, most of us are familiar. Some of us are familiar with Trish, you've already mentioned Daniel. But I also read about the uh, interview and the selection process with Tiffany and Joanna, um, who are kind of these newest kind of people who have agreed to take on roles within NL Research. And I maybe I just wanted to ask you a little bit about them. Austin, um, I've been in contact with Gary, maybe not so much. Um, I know at least one person who's been in touch with Trish, and you mentioned Daniel there. I guess what um, what comes across with most seekers and most um, people who try to be of service, and there is bios of, of Tiffany and Joanna where they've you know mentioned or it's mentioned of their own know uh, catalyst that has come to them of their own struggles with mental health and you've all been open and honest with us and i know that that's something that you have also talked about this idea of not being yourself and um this idea of you know having anger issues is that we all kind of need to to be open and, and honest but it's that raw emotions where we are able to then be of service to others yes uh we're just like everybody else, you know, we're seekers on a spiritual path, doing the best we can. And we have our strengths, we have our weaknesses. And fortunately, we're in a position to be able to share our strengths with other people. And we're feeling the responsibility to work with our weaknesses, to work with the catalyst that comes every day. So uh, we're all together on this journey of seeking, uh, playing each a role on the stage of life. And we are honored to be here doing what we do. And we know that other people are doing similar work that is very helpful. Uh, everybody that's seeking to be of service in their own way is adding to the, the love and the light of this uh, population of planet Earth that is so much in need of love and light at this time. So hopefully we can continue producing that all together and uh, help to bring a harvest of the population of Earth into fourth density. That's the great goal. Yeah, do you yeah, think you're leaving, do you think you're leaving LL Research in good hands? I, I know what you're going to say to that anyway, but such an incredible team. Obviously, Gary and Austin are the most famous ones because they've been, you know, the ones who have been around the longest. Um, and also, you know, they're the people who most people are familiar with in their correspondences, but also through, you know, the, the explanation of the law of one on YouTube and also the uh, Facebook groups that you would do. But with this kind of new generation of Trish and Daniel, Tiffany and Joanna, do you see um, an even bigger and brighter future for LL Research than before? Oh, definitely. Uh, these folks are the, I think the ones that uh, Ra was talking about when they were talking about Carla's incarnation and how she planned certain lessons with her uh, family and her siblings, and that there were others that were going to join in the future in her spiritual journey. And I think that these folks have just been added are part of those uh, groups that are here to help Eleanor Research to help everybody. And they have such talents that uh, it's just uh, amazing that we seem to attract people as, as our volunteers, our translators around the world. Yeah. Uh, people who help us with our editing. 
and now our new hires and staff and just the, the finest people you could ever imagine uh, gravitate here to LNL Research and share their, their skill set with us. And it's such a blessing. You know what? I'm, I'm sure that these things are working out the way they were supposed to. They're probably all, uh, you know, pre-incarnatively chosen uh, or maybe chosen during the incarnation, which makes it even better because uh, it's a very conscious choice to be of service. And, and we're, you just feel so blessed here uh, to be able to continue to offer what we have and continue to produce. We, our channeling circles continue and we're yeah, getting right. another hoping coming the next month. And so, you know, the beat goes on. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And as you say, no better group of people and the finest people who have been attracted, you know, and have come into the umbrella of LL Research. And it's exciting to see, you know, this new generation of seekers as each kind of new um, generation grows up and becomes spiritually aware, even quicker than the previous generation. These new fourth density souls, these double bodied souls that come in. Um, who are you know lightening the, the vibration of the planet even more than the, the previous generation that they will hopefully and through the dissemination of LL research in an even greater way have greater access and sooner to that information then hopefully that will you know spark off that remembering process like has happened to me like has happened to so so many other people so it's absolutely exciting to to find out and to understand and to hope um, for for the future of LL research, um, I guess uh, and you mentioned there are so many volunteers. You know, as Toby Wellback who does the Law of One info as well, which is a massive help as well for anyone wanting to go in and search raw terms. But and again, I don't want to leave anyone out. But there are so so many volunteers, and now one of your biggest projects is asking for volunteers to read all of the core material. And to highlight certain phrases or ones or or certain phrases or words so that a searchable database in the way that the law of one that info is but only for the core material in which you can potentially punch in a word and although you kind of have that search feature there but that is a kind of ongoing project isn't it yes yes yeah that's uh always being refined and uh we're so blessed with daniel shields's abilities to he created a lot of the features on that website uh, on his own. They're not something that's, you know, uh, known uh, throughout the web creating world. Uh, he, he made some uh, primary creations that were very, very helpful. Um, just before we, we kind of wrap up, I've just got a couple of small questions. When we look at um, the channeling world today, there is so, so much. You can go onto YouTube and you can find Archangel Michael, you can find people from Zeta Reticula, from all of these different vibrations and all of these different beings and stuff like that. And I guess it kind of makes you wonder whether this explosion in channeling has happened because of the new age, the new fourth density energies that have, you know, made contact a lot easier. Or do you think that, you know, there's potentially a lot of people out there um, and you can answer this in the way that you think, but maybe, um, I don't want to say delusional, but maybe are not channeling the entity that they think that they are. And the reason I'm asking that is there is so much philosophy now out there. There is so, so much philosophy that you can become lost in this. 
But I always keep returning to the Confederation material for two reasons. I always find it to be one, they always say, as you mentioned, this this is your free will. Leave anything that does not resonate with you. And it's always of a heart-based nature. They're always talking about, listen, I understand that you want all of these answers to the universe, but your lessons right now are to open your heart so that you make this current graduation, you know, for this these group of people who are who are ready for that. So they're the reasons why I always return to to the Confederation material, but there is so so much information, channeling material out there um that it's hard to make sense of it. It's hard to understand, you know, what exactly is um truthful i guess if it speaks to you i guess it is truth but do you understand i'm saying there's so so much out there it's hard to navigate that how do you or where do you kind of see you know or what's your take on all of that well i think you're right about the uh, time of graduation being the time where so much more information is available to various channels and that it is a, a blessing for sure in the general sense um, I think, though, everybody needs to use their own personal discrimination, just like you mentioned as a confederation philosophy, as to what you feel inside of you is most helpful to you. Because one particular channeling or type of philosophy might be helpful to one person and not so much helpful to another person. Uh, we all have different ways of perceiving our own spiritual journeys. I think each of us has our subconscious minds that is well aware of what our pre-incarnated choices are. that will give us uh, intuitional flashes and hunches as to what is appropriate for us at this particular time. And maybe at another time, we'll move on to some other material, steps along the way. And, and that taking of the various steps then maybe there's some material that you just feel is the foundation of your journey. And maybe you'll add to it as time goes on, or maybe it'll change. You know, uh, I think the word that Ra used the most frequently in the Ra contact was unique. Each of us is unique. Even though we share a general need to grow in a spiritual sense, to gain more understanding of our lives and the world around us, we each have a different way of doing that. It's like spokes on a wheel. We're all pointed toward the same goal, but we all have mm. a little different way of getting there. So uh, just use your own intuition, your discrimination. You know what you need. Yeah, yeah, that, that obviously is very true. It's Sometimes it's difficult to navigate when you're exchanging philosophies. And again, this whole, that leads me on to my next question, probably my final question, because I know you're, you're a busy person. Um, that, you know, when discussing um cosmological philosophy glad i got that out there and um, it can be tricky because as we were talking about you become attached so much to what has resonated with you that it becomes um almost a challenge um in a way when someone comes and challenges your perception of that and forces you to consider concepts that may not resonate with you or may challenge the information that you know um but for me as i was talking about um i think once you get down that certain path of of of, of as you mentioned there's no kind of way ultimately to say you know i'm not at this level and you know so much levels to go the only way you can look is by looking behind at the path that you've trod 
and seeing you know the changes that have implemented or you've implemented in your own kind of spiritual growth but i think for me there comes a point when the um cosmological nature of our reality becomes less important and we begin to look towards the cosmological landscape of our inner self um and i was i was mentioning to you before the start of this show and just a little bit on this here about these live talks that i do and sometimes it's my idea to continue you know discussing law of one philosophy but one of the last ones that i talked about there were these disciplines of the mind the body and the spirit that Ra were talking about and that speaks to the inner work the transformational work that um becomes more apparent and more important the more that we develop in our spiritual journey it becomes less of importance of what is the fabric of the universe but what is the fabric of me how can i understand what makes me tick why do i have these ticks these distortions these uh, eccentricities within me why do i have these thought patterns that will just not leave me alone how do i you know evolve myself and i think with that is maybe one helpful measure of of spiritual growth but um do you think that you know that is 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 something that is more important than understanding all of this kind of you know philosophy not philosophy but this cosmological nature of our universe i do uh, because all of the philosophy that we take in is like food for growth but what's growing is what is inside of us and we all have as jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you so we have that there to discover we have tools on the outside of us shall we say that we can use intellectually or emotionally and spiritually to find our way home and the home is within our own being that quality of the one creator that exists within each of us so as we engage in introspection and looking within to see what it is that we are made of then i think that is the real journey everything else uh, as ra said is a catalyst for that journey and that journey is the one that we all share but again we share in our own way and we need to get in there and get inside and meditate and contemplate and think about what it is we are feel what we are where we need to go what we need to do and i think looking within is the most important thing we can do looking outside of ourselves is a supplement to looking inside yeah fantastic absolutely as i said i I've, you know not that i've begun to find this i think that um and i just recently confirmed this with co or i didn't confirm it with co i confirmed by listening to a co-channeling is that i became very apparent that my lessons were of love that i needed to love came into my life i've talked about this so many times i woke up one day and hearing all of these lovey-dovey songs I was like oh i don't even like them songs right never liked them but now i'm hearing them in a different way and this idea that love is all around in the air and that started my journey into the exploration of love and to understanding love and manifesting love and just very recently i felt this little shift because with that love I have been blessed by the presence of an aspect of Yahshua and Magdalena, but I haven't felt that in a while. And I kind of wondered what, you know, what's what's going on? Have you deserted me? <laughs> but I've also found just recently there's been this little almost imperceptible shift away from this idea of love and more into wisdom. 
And I kind of know that about myself, that these are my lessons here on planet Earth, blending love with wisdom. Um, I just kind of wondered about that, you know, hmm, is this right? You know, and this was actually just recently confirmed for me in a very recent cool channeling that, I, that I'd read where they're discussing that the idea of, you know, that at some point a seeker's path moves away from this honest and beautiful expression of love to have that love just tempered a little bit or perhaps superimposed on, on wisdom. So I find that that is, is now my path. And I would say that, well, I don't say like, but I would presume that you would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I certainly would. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Short and succinct, just the way I like it. Just one final question, Jim, is that we you were talking about just that and we were talking about that, about this an idea of the inner landscape, the inner work becomes the most important work that you can do. Um, and we see that in the raw contact where in the beginning where Jim, or sorry, not Jim, Dawn is just kind of peppering Ra with these questions about UFOs and all of this. And if Ra could get irritated, I guess that would be their expression of irritated, where they're just kind of going like, these are pointless questions. These are not questions of any importance. We're here to discuss philosophy, not, you know, kind of this stern teacher, I guess, if you like towards the end of the raw contact, because obviously by that stage, you know, you had all refined the questions and become aware of um, what it was that Ra couldn't openly kind of say. Um, but the importance of what Ra was trying to convey to you all became more and more known. So that when this great um, understanding, or should I say in my case, misunderstanding of the archetypes it's you can see the language change with Ra, you know, where he, they begin to, you know, say you're so perceptive, oh student. It's almost like they began to really begin interested and begin to get excited. And I think that's because the heart of what they were trying to offer had been penetrated. It's this idea of the archetypes, the archetypes within us all, how we can understand the catalyst or the nature of catalyst. And I just I guess that is 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 indicative of what we were talking about is that for someone who is you know is on the spiritual path that there comes a point or this is ultimately the idea of what we're doing we're trying to transform ourselves just wondering could you offer any final thoughts on that I believe you're absolutely correct when Ra was talking about the archetypes they were really excited and I think the reason was because the archetypical mind is the mind that develops after the cosmic mind of the one infinite creator. And it gives you an outline of the nature of your evolution that's coming up in mind, body, and spirit. And when they were able to talk about that, then they were giving the basic foundation upon which we can build our lives, the spiritual nature, the body, the mind, all of this has various aspects, gems, and there's so much to explore and that we get into it in depth, then we can really see a framework for how we evolve spiritually. And I think they were totally excited about that. And it's easy to see, as you said, when they mentioned, oh, student, you are most perceptive. So yeah, we, we uh, it took us a while to figure out uh, how to ask questions that were uh, helpful uh, because they were a narrow band contact. They needed to have those questions focused on the evolution of mind, body, and spirit. If we asked too many transient questions that did not have answers that would be good 10,000 years from now as they were now, then we were risking losing the raw contact. 
So from time to time, you may notice they say something like the alignments uh, are slightly yeah, yeah. off. And that was their code letting us know that we hadn't had a real good session there, that the alignment wasn't just of the, the candle, the incense, the... Uh, um, the Holy Bible, the water. The Bible, the water, and all of that. It was the line of questioning, yeah. not just how those four accoutrements were lined up. So yeah, yeah. we had to learn that. But then we finally uh, got better at it when we got around to the archetypical mind. And, and it's absolutely fascinating. And still 40 years later, um, myself included, are still pouring over those words and seeking answers. And I think, because I was asking, um, I asked Austin um, a question. I said, look, I have a question for um, for Quo, and it's on the concept of Lucifer. And here's all of the information that I've been able to compile so far. And, you know, there's a, there's a statement in that, in the raw contact where they talk about the the nature of Lucifer and, and Austin and I had kind of gone back and forth, but I said you know like it's interesting the language that Ra chooses to use and sometimes I think that there's a maybe kind of code even within that they talk about Lucifer precipitating the fall and I said if you look up the definitely Dixon or precipitating you know the 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 indeedic, um yeah, indeed conditions um, are coming after those indeed conditions. And I said, when you look up the, the definition of um, precipitation, it means to fall. And, you know, so I was kind of asking that and Austin kind of said, yeah, it is unusual kind of language. And I wonder, is there maybe some sort of code, I guess, to potentially be deciphered in, in the nature of the words that Ra used? They use very specific words. Um, and I think that when you look at the definition of those words, there could be deeper meanings to to that. I think that's very true. I think that uh, every now and then uh, uh, Don was given a compliment by Rob when they said, you have penetrated the outer teachings. And uh, I think that is something I was wondering this morning as I was reading that quote, you know, how often uh, did we not penetrate the outer teachings? Uh, what would we learn if we penetrated the outer teachings more frequently? So yeah, and it's and it's fascinating. Forty years later, um, the raw contact is still being poured over, and yet we have all of this great information from Quo, who still you know doesn't um, you know kind of uh, reveal everything. It's sometimes Quo speaks in kind of. Uh, parables almost as well. I certainly found that out when I was reading that passage in which they discussed by Bahamut. I was kind of going, I don't quite understand what they're trying to say here. So I still think that there's a lot to be deciphered. But Jim, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, I want to thank you for your service on planet Earth at this time. Um, I want to thank you for bringing us more and more of that of who was known as Carla or Alrak as Ra refers to her. Um, and just for being you, um, just this wise, uh, ageless teacher. Um, and I guess we don't tend to think of ourselves in that way, but as I was talking about in a lot of my work, you know, we, we have this idea of humility, um, which ultimately is of the highest ideal, but sometimes it's extremely helpful for someone to come along and tell us um, how inspired they were by something that we have done or by the work that we're doing, because it gives us the impetus 
to carry on um, when sometimes we feel overwhelmed or we feel unappreciated or we just feel too tired. It gives us fresh legs. And I obviously, I don't know how long um, we, we will be blessed with your presence. I do know in that message that Carla said that you, she knew that you were very tired, but with a wink in her eye, she said you'd still work to do. Um, <laughs> so true. Both of yeah, them. So, yeah, just not quite yet. I know that you're your you're thing and you're going to find out so much and there's going to be so much we have to talk about. Things are not what we use. think they are what we thought they are, but not just quite yet, Jim. She said, just not quite yet, yet Jim. You still have more work to do. And while that may seem selfish to you, um, to us it's a blessing. It's a blessing to have you here in the physical, to impart your wisdom, to impart your um, calm, guru, Buddha-like manner, Christ-like manner, um, in which we can all live of you. So I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, um, on behalf of myself and for all those people who have been really eager and really keen to see this interview to go ahead and I, all i can say is long live ll research and the work that you do and i'm sure that that work will continue to inspire seekers many many long years after i'm dead well thank you zenith it's been an honor to be here and i hope that everybody will uh take uh, what you had to say and what i had to say and use their own discrimination as to what means something uh, valuable to them and i hope that uh Everybody can join together in sharing the love of the one creator that flows through every heart to bring together everybody on planet Earth as a social memory complex and we can move forward into the fourth density of love and understanding. Peace and blessings. Thank you so much. I was going to ask you to leave us with an inspirational message like you so often do on the podcast, but you just preempted me. Thank you so much. Thank you.